Hey there, anglers, and welcome to another episode of SAA Guide Talk. I'm your host and SAA guide, Mitch Carter, and joined with me today is the regular crew of Paul and Ethan. So, um, today we've got a little topic cooked up for you, and we were kind of doing some brainstorming before we hit record. Well, we hit record one time before, had some technical difficulties, decided to restructure the entire episode, found another technical difficulty in one of our past episodes, I had to go in and fix that. And now we're re-recording the whole episode. So, um, aside from all that, what we're doing is uh, we're looking to kind of just give you guys more of the content that you want. So we've been paying attention to our analytics, as well all podcasters, YouTubers, any content creator should. Um, and one thing that we've seen that you guys like really well, which we kind of expected you to like in the first place, was kind of our gear video or uh, not gear videos, our gear podcasts. Um, and uh, so like Gear We Trust was a really good one that got a lot of views and um, our Boats episode got a lot of views and some other ones got a lot of views, but our, our, our most viewed episodes or not views, our most listened to episodes have been our, uh, our gear stuff. Now, I'm not saying, you know, again, the rest of this podcast from here forward is just going to be gear stuff. Like that's not at all what we're saying, but uh, these, these gear reviews and, um, you know, you guys hearing from us what we like to use, what we don't like to use, we found that those are really fun to make. They're really fun to talk about because everybody likes to talk about gear. Like whether you're fishing, golfing, hunting, and I've said this a million times, gear is half the fun, right? And then the other half of the fun is actually going out and doing what you're doing. But gear is a lot of fun. And like I say, there's there's some people that fish maybe five times a year, but they have really nice gear because they really like it and it's shiny and pretty. But <laughs> no, gear, gear is half the fun. So, um, We've seen that you guys like that, so we're gonna we're gonna accommodate a little bit today. And instead of giving kind of a a broad spectrum of gear as to like what we like for this and what we like for that, and talking about four hundred things at once, we're gonna kind of keep it simple. And what we're talking about today is our number one confident baits, number one confidence baits for smallmouth, trout, and muskie. And I just said those in the wrong order. We're gonna start with trout, smallmouth, and then go to muskie. <laughs> so. Um, Starting with Ethan here, and Ethan had an, an excellent spiel about his his number one fly, but we had to we had to re-record it here. So Ethan, without further ado, your number one confidence fly for fly fishing for trout. Okay, fair enough. Um, so if I had to pick one to use my personal fishing, guiding, whatever, if I had to catch a fish, fly fishing for trout, the fly that I have most confidence in is a pheasant tail. Um, if you look at my boxes of flies, I've got anything from a size 24 pheasant tail all the way up to a size eight. Um, I'll share this little antidote as well as to why I've got so much confidence in it. It was really one of the first flies, um, that I started tying because, um, back when I was around like 11 or 12, when I really got into fly tying, uh, there was a book that I had that my grandfather gave me. And one of the first flies I saw in there was a pheasant tail. And a little background of a pheasant tail was developed by a feller named Frank Sawyer in England almost 200 years ago. Um, that fly has been a staple in the trout fishing world ever since. I'd argue that if you had to pick, or if you were to look at like the flies that have caught more trout than anything else, a pheasant tail would be at least at the top three. Um, but with that said, that was one of the first flies I learned how to tie. And my first variation of it was actually more or less like a, like a streamer. And so what I did was I had this box of, I think they were old Dairikis or something like that. They were like extra long shank, like grasshopper hooks. And it was really one of the only types of hooks that I had at the time. 
and I'd say they were like maybe a size six or eight or something like that. Really long shank hook. I tie like an inch of pheasant tail off the back with like whatever type of flash I had, like gold tinsel or silver tinsel or something like that. Um, wrap the body forward with the pheasant tail material. And then the, the head of the fly would be like some soft hackle or grizzly hackle or something like that. And they were very ugly. I will say that they were not the prettiest flies in the world. Very but, experimental flies. But they were very, like. they were a great introduction to some of the basics of fly time for me. And, you know, when I was growing up, I, I lived very close by to a delayed harvest trout stream. Um, so I would go down there after school and fish with these flies. And I thought, you know, it was the ultimate fly because every time I went down there, I'd always catch something on it. And I fished it either under an indicator because um, back in the day, I used to use those like little stick-on ones you got at Walmart because that's, again, the only thing that I had. Or I would fish them like a streamer. And no matter where I went, I'd always catch something on that fly. And so ever since then, I've always had a lot of confidence in it. Um, they look like just about anything. They can look like a midge when you tie them really small. Um, they can look like big stonefly nymphs. There's a million different ways to tie them. And as far as, like, again, having to catch fish, fly fishing for trout, um, or even, you know, if we were talking about spin fishing too, there's, there's jigs I've seen online that are actually tied out of pheasant tail material. So conversely, you know, if you want to spin fish, same thing, a, a pheasant tail, anything, some variation of a pheasant tail nymph, whether you're spin fishing or fly fishing is an excellent choice. And that's what I would pick. Well, pheasant tails throw off one of probably the best profile of just your standard nymph, right? Right. It, and and that's what makes it such a good fly. So it's a classic fly. We still use it to this day, be it on guide trips personally or whatever. It's been around for, like Ethan said, what, hundreds of years now? Yeah. 200 years. When you look at, like, bugs, like, under rocks and stuff like that, um, a lot of them have, like, a dark brown profile. I mean, you can get pheasant tail in almost any color in the world now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when you go online, like, the top colors are, like, just – Standard pheasant tail, olive, black, like a clear red, something like yeah. that. There's a million different color options, and um, you can tie them to suit whatever. So yeah. it's a very versatile material, and you can do a lot of different things with you it. You can tie them with hot points. You can tie them with flash. You can tie you, – you can – different colors. It's, it's just another one of those flies that you can just tie – into whatever variation you want. And really, and I think we've said this in previous podcasts before, is that our favorite baits and our favorite flies are those that look like just a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of flies are tied more for the uh, the buyer and, and not the fish. <laughs> so I've seen a lot of pretty flies and a lot of cool-looking, interesting flies and, and stuff at, like, you know, Sportsman's Warehouse or Name Your Fly Shop. And, and I think those sit there and they look really pretty. So people are like, whoa, that looks really cool. And then they'll buy it. Not And, you know, it's one of those flies that will sit in your box forever and, and you have – maybe intentions of fishing of it but you're probably not going to use it so it'll end up on like you know your dashboard or your truck or something <laughs> or in your hat but, or in your hat yeah so yeah some flies people buy i swear just to put them in their hats sometimes but uh yeah the pheasant tail is one of those like i say that just throws off a general profile and going off of flies that throw off a general profile if i could go into my number one trout fly if i could if i could just turn the boat over it. to myself yep. here Steer the boat. would you guys be willing to wager a guess of all the hundreds of thousands of flies in the world what my number one fly is hmm what do you think paul you don't have to look very far for this uh, i know exactly what it is what is it i'm curious yep 
Go ahead. Um, midge. It's the midge. It's a, oh, oh, dang. Well, I was looking at my Always table here because um, we're recording my basement. Now I've got a bunch of flies and bring to the Raleigh boat show and I see about <laughs> five or six that he's eyeing over here. So I wasn't really I was sure. just looking at them because they're, they're so crazy looking. Anyway, um, I, yeah. So uh, if you cannot catch anything at all, you'll catch something on a midge. In my experience, you can fish the most well. So like a zebra midge, like if we had to like break it down. Even- so, um, yeah, if I was to break it down even, even further, and I should have to start off with, I, I can't decide if it's the zebra med- midge like or midge. the thread midge. Yeah, because I've probably caught more fish on a thread midge, but I've caught a close second of many fish to a, probably a zebra midge. Well, it's the same thing. So it's yeah. the same basic thing, and one of them might have a little bit of a. So the for the listeners that don't know, a thread midge is literally just tied with thread, and a zebra midge is tied with thread, and usually a few wraps of name your color, uh, copper wire, um, what uh, just whatever color wire, right? Yeah, but yeah. There, there's a hundred and ten different colors for zebra midges, but my favorite is a midge. So in the toughest times, on my toughest days fishing or toughest days guiding. You can usually catch something on some kind of zebra midge. Now, whether this be on the tail races, um, you know, with tailwater fish that tend to want to eat in cycles, whether this be, you know, on freestone streams like what we have over on this side over in North Carolina, you will always catch something on a thread midge. Um, so one midge in particular that I, I can I can go and I know with confidence if I can't catch anything, or no, excuse me, if I if I show up to a river and I want to find trout, there is one fly in particular that I will tie on if I'm not dialed in on that stream. And I'm let's say I'm just fishing it to fish it. I've never been there before in my life. I'm just there. It's my first time there. I'm going to have a, I tie this thing. I call it the working man's midge. I call it the big midge. I call it like five or six different things. But all it is, is it's a size 16 scud hook on about a two and a half millimeter bead head, tungsten, and about mm, four passes of black thread. That's it. That's the whole entire fly. I've caught more native brook trout. I've caught more wild rainbow and brown trout. And a whole mess of stalkers in between on that one fly right there. And people will look inside of my box and you will find that my, my variations of nymphs don't stray that far. Now, like I, like I say, I might tie a few different variations of it. So I'll tie that very exact same thing with like a black tungsten bead head, or I'll tie it with, I never really tie it with gold just cause I don't know, I'm not a gold bead head guy. I've always just leaned more towards copper. I always thought it looked better for some reason. Um, but it's, it's as simple as that. And kind of like going back to what Ethan said, this fly is literally, it's, it's a hook, it's black thread and it's a copper bead head. You can tie them with green thread. You can tie them with red thread. You can tie them with whatever color bead head you want to. And you can tie them in whatever size variation you want to. But that right there alone just throws off a general profile that fish see. And a black thread midge can look maybe, I don't. I mean, it can look like just, it's, it looks like food. It looks like sustenance getting washed down the river. And when you throw a little bead head on top of that, it's maybe a little attractor and they hit it. And I don't know why, but that right there, for brook trout and freestone wild trout, if anything else, that is probably my number one fly. Now, also the thread midge, I've thrown a thread midge and everything from like a size 26 up to a size 18 before and with or without bead heads on them. But you know, I, 
every guide trip I take, unless we're fishing like, you know, an egg bite or if it's, you know, bigger water and I'm having to throw bigger nymphs to accommodate for, you know, the high water levels, whatever, I, I, I'm always throwing some form of midge for trout. That's That's probably what I have the most confidence on. And I've caught everything from, you know, little brook trout on it to, you know, big stud brown trout so that's that's probably my number one confidence fly that i have for trout so yeah and i think we can maybe both guess as to what paul's favorite is they're kerplunk (laughs) (laughs) chernobyl for sure chernobyl all right oh crap i forgot about yeah i was about to say how'd you how'd you get that one wrong man yeah big profile throws them off um they're always uh, looking for smaller flies it's kind of the opposite of mitch what mitch is saying yeah. uh big profile i think does the same exact uh thing as throwing something small where they don't see it all the time and uh, it's a big meal for them to get so that would be my confidence bait for sure or confidence fly for sure as uh, far as uh, fly fishing goes yeah sir well the thing about a chernobyl and ethan has told this to a lot of clients and I tell this to a lot of clients too and it's like, like so one of the wild trout streams that we got on in particular some of the biggest fish that we've had caught in that stream have been on Chernobyls or bigger flies mm-hmm. simply because when browns get up to a certain size and really I would argue browns about all the way through their lives and really you could say this about brook trout too they have a not only more of a predatory instinct than rainbows do, but mm-hmm. when big fish get big, they start looking for bigger protein meals, right? right. So that's why people throw streamers for big browns. That's why people uh, throw Chernobyls and beetles and bigger terrestrials for bigger fish too. Now you might not rail as many you know smaller fish with that, but you can catch a whole pot. You know you you have a, a better shot, not a whole pot. You have a better shot at catching a bigger fish. On well, something uh, like a Chernobyl. I've seen Paul catch them on December, or in December on Chernobyl's too. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, and <laughs> because they, they not only look like a terrestrial to me, but they also look like a like a stonefly nymph too. Because yeah. um, when stonefly nymphs hatch, they're the bigger aquatic insects that we mm-hmm. have. And so, you know, because when everyone thinks of a Chernobyl, um, you know, Paul mentioned about them being big. But, I mean, you can tie them all the way down like a 14 or a 16 yeah. realistically. And that yeah. looks like a big mayfly, big big stonefly i'll tell you what right now on days where the water has been perfect for it i have caught tons of fish on chernobyls mm-hmm. they float well yeah they float really well they're great on a dry dropper that's yeah. about the and they're you know they're great for when you're first um for a lot of folks when they're first learning how to fly fish too is because you know some dry flies a lot of folks have a really hard time seeing them and they don't yeah. float as well you're having to constantly re-top, re reapply floatant um with a chernobyl you put some gink on there and yeah yeah hold, right. hold that thought paul what do you do with your chernobyls to get them ready uh the night before you put gink in your box uh just like a <laughs> little uh like a plastic tackle box like a plano box and then just shake them around and they marinate themselves <laughs> And you're good to and go. It works and all it, it, day it long. Works. Don't ever have to apply. A single I, I, thing. I've done group trips with Paul before, and I'm sitting here like reapplying float. It works. And I just see Paul out there fishing, and I've asked him before. I was like, "Man, like, do you not use any float?" And he's like, "Oh man, I do. I just do not before." Yeah. I'm like, oh. Well, I thought enough. I just had this thought. I think it's funny how Paul like went for the Chernobyl. I kind of saw it coming in a way, but also 
I think the reason why me and Ethan I think chose Nymphs and Paul chose the Chernobyl because the Chernobyl seriously works out for Paul a lot, um, <laughs> so I could see why I chose that. <laughs> Maybe for me and Ethan, not so much. But on your toughest days, fly fishing, you're gonna catch something on some variation of nymph, right? Yes. I mean, unless you start seeing them, you know, hatch for dry flies. But like we fly fishing some pretty daggum tough times before, and if they're not rising for a hatch you can get them on some variation of nymph at some point you might have to downsize you might have to upsize whatever the case may be with the water conditions but you, you can catch them on some variation of nymph and kind of to that <clears throat> going back to chernobyl's um one thing that uh brownie lyle's um guide from watauga river lodge told my father-in-law one time so my brownie likes to use uh chernobyl's on guide trips mm -hmm. but he'll run like a dry double dropper yes and really he's kind of what inspired me to do all my dry double droppers but um he would always do a dry double dropper out there so he'd usually do a chernobyl and then he'd do um off the hook shank of that he'd do like some kind of soft tackle and then at the very bottom of that he'd do some kind of midge mm -hmm. depending on just whatever um, and on those tail raised fish, that's a lot of different food options right there in front of them, especially in the dead of summer when the big bugs are flying around. Right. Chernobyl. But the reason why Brownie said that he did it, used Chernobyl's is that, um, for clients that aren't used to seeing dry flies, he's got two nymphs underneath that dry fly, but he's also using it as an indicator. Yes. And he, he said he's using it more as an indicator than he is actually using it as a fly. But every now and again... And if it's on, it, it it gets on, but every now and again, you'll have a fish get a dry fly eat, and that's what you want anyway. Mm -hmm. And I've done that on the tuck many a times where, you know, if it got a little bit tougher, like I was doing it this past October, and I would just keep the Chernobyl's tied on because the water was so low, and then out, off of that, I would just string up, uh, I would just string up whatever nymphs, and, you know, with a Chernobyl as an indicator as opposed to like a big airlock or... I would even be willing to wager to say even, well, maybe not in New Zealand, but like the thing about a Chernobyl apart from a, say a, a standard fly fishing bobber is the presentation. It lays down really nice. You're not splashing the water, spooking all the fish out. Now I use that technique and I follow that technique with Chernobyls on bigger rivers. So like tailwaters, um, and just, you know, physically bigger rivers, but like on smaller rivers, like the Davidson, I'll do that with a, like an elk caddis, or I'll do it with an Adams, something smaller. So like on the Davidson this year, my jam was, um, you know, an elk caddis cause I've never been as big of an Adams man. I've always been more of an elk caddis man. It was an elk caddis down to, you know, one of my beadhead thread midges down to a, um, down to another kind of midge that's what i would fish just in a physically smaller river where you need a little bit lighter of a presentation so awesome we pretty much covered that as far as smallmouth goes or as, excuse me as far as trout goes ethan are you wanting to uh lead us off there with smallmouth sure yeah so as far as smallmouth goes um and, and we're looking a little side note here too we're looking at all these through the, i know we said baits but we're looking at it through the realm of like both flies and baits as well right um now, as far as that goes, uh, smallmouth. Do you want to do flies and baits for smallmouth, or just baits? Nah, let's just do one. Just baits. Yeah. Let's just okay. Do one. Cool. Um, because in my head, when I'm thinking of smallmouth fishing, you know, again, if I had to pick one bait, like or one fly to 
to catch fish no matter where I went, smallmouth fishing, um, any river in the country that has them, or lake or whatever, um, I would probably pick a Senko. And I've said that before on this podcast, how much I like a Senko. But, and I think, you know, if you were to ask a lot of bass fishermen if, as far as like them catching like one bait that they could catch fish on anywhere, a Senko would probably be number one. And same for me because number one with a Senko, um, what's a three inch, four inch, five inch, whatever, you can modify that bait to do a lot of different things based on how it's rigged, either on a Ned rig, Nico rig, chicken rig, wacky rig. I fished them as a. I, straight up I was like a top water before um almost like a fluke like skittering them across the surface of the water as fast as i could mm-hmm. and i've caught fish doing that mm-hmm. um i've fished mm-hmm. them with like little colorado blades and like the tail that's kind mm-hmm. of an interesting technique to do that i know that z-man kind of came out with something like that a couple years back um where you could like attach like a little colorado blade to the tail and then it kind of reduces the fall rate and adds some flash as it goes down um as far as like a brand, I don't really, I'm not really brand specific, but when you look at like, you know, like a Yum Dinger or a Gary Yamamoto Senko or mm-hmm. the Z-Man ones, they, they all have different properties to them, but it's the overall profile that mm-hmm. I think works really well because, you know, if it's on a jig head, like a traditional, like three inch Ned rig, it's more of like a craw imitation or like a small bait fish, right? Yeah. Um, the bigger sizes can look like a dying shad or bait fish or something like that coming through the water column. And as far as like, again, having to catch fish, like if I were going to fish like a tournament or, you know, guiding for river smallmouth, like we do a Senko number one, no question about it. For sure. For sure. Um, and, uh, Paul, what would you, what would you say your number one confidence bait is? A medium diving crankbait mm, for, that's a good one. for what we got for. Yeah. That's medium diving crankbait, probably six to eight foot. It's very poly. <laughs> Round bill, for sure. And crawfish color. And you could do a lot of things with it. Um, the water's high. You can still fish it when the water's low. You can uh, slow roll it, especially in the cold winter months. Or it can also, uh, even though it has crawfish color on it, you can act. it'll look like a bait fish, too. Uh, depending on what side, if the fish is under it, um, if or if they're above it, uh, it'll have a different appearance to them. But definitely a crankbait because it works year-round, and it just plain catches fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I'll touch on this a little bit. That's an interesting thing a lot of people don't think about with crankbaits either. Um, and I was reading years ago about that when I first got into crankbait fishing, um, about color options for crankbaits, right? And how one of the more important colors that a lot of people don't think about, it's not the, like the paint on the side or on the top, because a lot of times the fish are coming up to eat a crankbait. It's the underside. It's the underside. Yeah. That can sometimes make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And you can argue with me on that or not. I mean, that's, I think that's pretty no. solid. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I mean, yeah. I think, and as far as like river systems go, other than bigger holes, they're going to be looking at it from, they're going to be eating it from the top. Right. And that's why we, you know, you miss a lot of fish because they're hitting it from the top and they're only have one treble to get onto. Or they're going to be trying to like tail nip it, short strike it. But yeah. as far as like looking at it, they're seeing it from the top. Oh, I see what you're right. saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But if it's okay. a deep hole, obviously, like Ethan said, right, they're going right, to see right, it from right. the bottom. Yeah. So. And then other times they're just on it and they'll just T-bone the living crap out of it. <laughs> yeah, that's what's fun. So kind of like on that with those medium diving crankbaits and kind of what Ethan said about, you know, um, people talking about like time of year and stuff for them 
I've been known to throw crankbaits in some really weird situations before. <laughs> so uh, I told this story before on the podcast about how I had how I had a client um, catch a fish on a little curly tail grub in the Nolochucky and how we had a bigger fish come after it um, while that smaller fish was on the line. And it was probably, the, it's the, not probably, it was the biggest river smallmouth I'd ever seen in the Noli to this day. Um, and then after that, I threw a uh, Tennessee, Tennessee, no, not Tennessee shad, baby bass, Rapala DT6, and caught two other fish on that very same bait in that very same hole that weren't that bigger fish. Uh, but for some reason, I was just getting them to chase that crankbait in, and they were eating it. It, was kind of, it wasn't really a whim. I mean, it was put together in my head that, yeah, a bigger fish bulldogged a smaller, you know, smallmouth, so I should probably put something baby bass on to maybe try to get a big one. And like the thing that clicked in my head was the baby bass. But the funny thing is I didn't catch that bigger fish. I caught two other fish that I wasn't even targeting. And, uh, other times like in the summer, so me and Ethan had a group trip. When did me and you fish the Noli that day this past summer when it was just like three inches of viz? Mm, it was super muddy. That was what time of year was that? One month. Do you think? I want to say it was like in May or June. I think yeah. I, it was early in the year. It was it was summertime. It was mm-hmm. definitely summertime. It was it was hot, but it it was it was it was earlier in the year. But it was really muddy, um, like four inches of viz. Like rain came through like two days before. We had just enough viz to where we felt confident in taking the trip, and we went out. And we were doing like what you do in muddy water, bass fishing or river smallmouth fishing anyway. It was, you know, black Cinco's, black Ned rigs. Um, and one thing that we started doing too is Ethan was started catching them on, what was it, like a chartreuse crankbait? Yeah. Bandit 200. Yeah. Six, like eight that, diver. Yeah. And I threw one of my favorite crankbait colors of all time is Tennessee Shad. And so I was throwing Tennessee Shad, and I started smoking them on Tennessee Shad. You were smoking them on your chartreuse color. I think we went back and forth a few times, and then we finished out the rest of the day with, like, Ned Rigs mm-hmm. and, so, and stuff. And but, as far as colors go, I think a lot of times it's up to each individual fish as well. Um, yeah. There, there's some fish that will eat a brighter one versus a darker one and vice versa. Yeah. Um, and and, and you catch more, I think, on one certain color, um, whether it's a Senko, crankbait, whatever, mm-hmm. and it's kind of you run through the cycle until you get it kind of dialed in. Yeah, there's a lot of different factors for that, but yeah, and it, well, one thing that we found with a lot of our river systems is like, well, the two that we mainly got on, you know, the French and the Nolichucky. The one thing that we found with with those two river systems is that when they're on a bait you're going to find a pattern where they stay on that bait pretty much. You know what I mean? I mean, now there's days where they're a lot moodier and we have to go through, you know, the whole kitchen sink. But, you know, to what you were saying about individual fish hitting individual colors, that's that's true a lot of the times. But, I mean, we've definitely found sometimes that that specific bait, that specific color is the bite for the entire day. And every fish in the river is eating that, that kind of bait. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So... Um, but yeah, that was good. Paul crankbait, um, can't ever go wrong with a six to eight foot diving crankbait round bill. They deflect really well in the river. Um, you got to try pretty daggum hard to get one hung up. I mean, depending on your bait, of course, but, um, I found with just regular, you know, bandit 200s, uh, Rapala BX brats, two baits that we run a whole lot on, you know, our guide trips for smallmouth, whether it be French or Nolichucky, wherever, um, can't really go wrong with those. So that brings me to, uh, my confidence smallmouth bait, which would be a Ned rig. Um, now I've caught 
um, and a junior Ned rig. About a, what do you say, three-incher? What are the baby TRDs? Like three-inchers? Yeah, like just a standard like? TRD. Yeah, yeah, just standard TRD. Yeah, it's a, a three-inch Z-Man TRD Ned rig. Um, and I was kind of brand specific for that just because that is the Ned rig that I've used the most and caught the most fish on. Um, Ned rigs can be... I've done red rigs before where I've Texas rigged them and chopped up half of a Cinco, like half a six inch Cinco. I've done red rigs before where you could take the tail off of a rage swimmer and, you know, put it on a ball jig head and jig it through there. And it looks like something, but again, kind of, and if you're not sensing a pattern here, I like baits slash flies that throw off a general profile. So like with my, um, my fly selection that I had for trout, what I chose is my confidence fly for that. It's just a, it's a hook, black thread, and a, you know, bead head, right? A Ned Rig is a three inch long rubber worm. That's it. That's the whole bait. And then whatever color variation you want to put on that, whatever kind of jig head variation, however you want to rig it, blah, 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 is entirely up to you. I just do a little Texas rig with a half moon jig head most of the time, whatever, you know, size variation for whatever type of water I'm in. And I usually like to throw, um, like black or just solid black. I think Z-Man calls it yoga pants, that color. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I like Canada crawl and that's pretty much what I rock, you know, it, whether, whether, so whether it's in the fall and I'm cranking or it's the spring and we're throwing, you know, jerk baits or whether, you know, we're throwing flukes, whether it's in the summertime, we're throwing swim baits. Like I'll have a quote unquote power fishing bait tied on at all times, but I've always gone, I'm always going to the river with a Ned rig tied on now. And there are times where the Ned rig is still even just a little bit too much for some of the fish that we go after in the summertime. And I'll have to dial it down to like a junior Cinco, like the three inch, four inch Cinco's and, you know, do a little mini Texas rig or something like that. But, you know, in the right water conditions, I will always find fish on some kind of Ned rig. And like I say, the way I, the way I like to rig it just to keep, you know, the hook from being exposed, doling the hook and getting hung up on rocks and stuff for clients is just taking a half moon, uh, jig, Texas rigging it, sticking it in there and ripping that. And that's pretty much my, my smallie confidence bait, I would say. Um, so going into the last little bit of the topic here, um, musky baits. So, um, the thing about musky baits, and I'll let Ethan elaborate on this a little bit more, is probably the best quote that I heard about musky baits is from Paul. And he said, you could throw a flipping beer can out there, and if they're on it, they're on it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a bigger profile. It's um, a bigger profile, yeah. Larger predatory fish. And um, to sum up, you know, musky baits as a whole, uh, really, like... I say bigger profile. Um, I mean, I've got some musky baits that I use that are that are borderline just big bass baits. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, we're just throwing off a bigger profile. Um, and that could be a crankbait, swim bait, whatever. I mean, you're just kind of taking you know what you normally use bass fishing, just upscaling it a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Um, even with what the quote unquote finesse musky baits are, um, they're still big. I mean, mm-hmm. so with that said, yeah. Um, if I had to pick one, oh gosh, um. <laughs> If I had to pick one bait, I would, as far as just getting follows and eats, and if you ask, like, any musky fisherman, they'll probably tell you the same thing, um, bucktail. Bucktail mm. spinnerbait it would be my number one because – I thought you were going to say a flat stick for a second. Well, yeah, but, you know, honestly, as far as just, like, the, all throughout the year, 
I mean, if you go online and read it, like, you know, the stories of like musky fishermen from years back, I mean, a, mm -hmm. a bugtail is an old bait. It's been around for forever. Um, mm -hmm. They're relatively easy to make. Uh, people have been making them for a very long time. Really popular up north and in the Midwest, and they work really well here as well. Um, but a bucktail, you can throw them in a ton of different color combinations. You can mix up. I, the ones I like using for, for river systems are a little bit smaller, um, mainly because if you throw like a, uh, let's say like a, a cowgirl, which is probably one of the more popular bucktails in the musky fishing world as a, as a double-bladed cow, cowgirl, um, those blades, some of them can get so big that unless you have the r properly sized reel, um, trying to rip those through current, especially reeling them back to the boat upstream, that can strip the gears out of a reel if it's not geared right. Jeez. So you have to have specialized reels for that. So I the ones I that. like to use are like single bladed bucktails, um, mm -hmm. maybe on a little bit smaller end of the spectrum, anywhere from about maybe five to six inches or so. And, and really, you know, for a lot of our rear systems around here that we got for them on, um, the bait fish that we're targeting, or the muskie are targeting, I should say. I mean, yeah, they'll eat like a big sucker, I'm sure. But, I mean, most of the suckers we're seeing are anywhere from like, I don't know, 6 to 10 inches long anyway. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be their predominant food source. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have to throw like the giant like rubber bulldogs or the 10 inch long yeah. grandmas or anything like you see like yeah. those folks up north doing in big lakes up there yeah um the bait fish for which here is much smaller so i tend to get more follows and commitments on smaller baits that's what i was um, going to ask you like for yeah. i mean i'm looking up in my rods up here in the basement and uh one of them i've got on just a smaller smaller single blade bucktail thing it's like a number uh what is that blade size i can't remember off the top of my head but it's smaller it's just a about a five or six inch um bucktail very small skirt on it a uh, little curly tail on the treble hook just to give it a little bit more action but the last time i used that bait we had two follows on it and one committed to it um so it's an overall like if you're just getting into musky fishing bucktails are super easy to fish um you just cast and wind it back in you can rip them up on the surface really fast yeah or you can slow roll them through a deep hole or something like that and there's it's not like a glide bait where like you know, like some glide baits, you have to fish them a certain way to get the cadence right. Um, crank baits and river systems work really well too, but they also get hung up a lot. So a bucktail where it's hiding, generally going a little bit higher in the water column, um, is going to keep you from getting hung up as much. And again, as far as just getting falls and commitments, a bucktail would be my number one pick for muskie. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And they do look good in the water. They do. Yeah. And uh, I remember like those, <laughs> you remember when I had that big chatter bait just come off? Mm -hmm. in the french that time yeah and <laughs> like and like big chatterbaits look really good too you know and at the end of the day a chatterbait's doing about the same thing as you know what a spinner is to a, a certain extent but like you know with musky when you're just looking for that profile a, a spinner blade definitely throws off a nicer profile so um sorry that just kind of came into my head <laughs> uh paul you're up what's your what's your musky bait what's your confidence what bait Crankbait. Crankbait. Uh, <laughs> I was well, going to say the spectrums here, but yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. That's a solid choice too. Yeah. I, that's, I was torn between either a bucktail or a, a big crankbait, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, reasoning is either it's going to have two or three trebles on it, and when the muskie noses your bait, you want the best possible chance to hook them. So, uh, crankbait really allows you to have that chance, and uh, you can get into different water columns um, with depths, but crankbait all around um you really can't go wrong with it in our river systems around here mm -hmm. um, and they react to it very well and they they do follow it very well and you know 
um, I'd say we've got a couple that we really, really like and really enjoy, but you can, you can downsize or, um, yeah, throw a bigger one depending on the time of the year, fall or spring. So crankbait, number one choice for confidence bait from muskie. Yeah. And I would go ahead and say the same thing. And now granted, I haven't done as much muskie fishing and, you know, I've, my muskie fishing is really extended from you know my time at saa i really didn't do any before saa um but i've went a whole lot with saa and you know i've even bagged one gotten a lot of follows but i would say that as far as you know ease of use and uh profile goes you can't really go wrong with a crankbait um because you know a crankbait is going to have a steady tracking pattern it's going to it's going to swim at a at a steady pattern and when a muskie's following something, they see it, they're going to follow it, and they want it to look the same pretty much all the way up to the boat and all the way through the figure eight and everything. And it's really easy to get a, you know, a crankbait to keep moving on that steady path. You know, And granted, yeah, it's going to be easy to do that with a spinner or, or whatever else, but I don't know, to me, crankbait and... Maybe it's just a smallmouth fishing thing because, like, you know, you fish for muskie in the cold a lot of the times. And in the cold, when I think about smallmouth, I think about crawfish and then I think about crankbaits. So maybe that's it. But I've had a lot of a lot of good times, a lot of good follows. And, you know, I bagged my first muskie on a crankbait and super fun bite. And kind of like what Paul said, you know, when, when that fish ate the crankbait when I caught my first one, it, I mean, it T-boned it. Like, I mean, you remember it had both sets of trebles in its mm-hmm. mouth. Like, it absolutely crammed and it. To Paul's point, I will say that it is an advantage. I mean, you can get bucktails with multiple trebles in them, too. But, the well, there's a couple different advantages to a bucktail as well. Or, not bucktail, excuse me, a crankbait. Um, you do generally have a back treble hook, which I will say I've had people hook them mm-hmm. um, with that back treble hook with one prong of the treble. I mean, sometimes they'll come up and... Um, you know, one thing with muskie is, and I've seen this happen a bunch where someone will tell me that they've, they thought they had a bite. Like I remember when me and Paul fished years ago and it was right kind of at the tail end of our flow before we're going to motor back up river a little bit. And I swear I had something hit it, but there was nothing connected. And the thing with muskie is that, and a lot of times they'll come up and bump the bait with their mouth. And I think it's more of like a, almost like a territorial strike almost where they just knock it with the side of their head to just investigate it. You know, fish obviously don't have, hands so their their mouth is what they're going to mm-hmm. investigate stuff with right um i've so, had them do that with ned rigs before yeah remember that story i told about me wading in the noli and had one come up on a ned rig doing mm-hmm. that yeah well funny story about that too speaking of a ned rig i'll tell this real quick so one of the craziest things i've ever had happen was there was a, a smallmouth float i had um with a, a dad and his kid and the kid never really fished before much and i was going through the whole gambit with him about smallmouth fishing and um took a little Senko and chopped it off and put it on Ned Rig, kind of like how Mitch was talking about doing, because you can always catch something on that. Yep. And I handed it to the kid, showed him how to fish it. Kid made first cast in a relatively deep run. It was maybe about 10 feet deep or so. And um, I was helping his dad get the reel switched around because he was a reel with his right hand, I believe. So in the process of me doing that, the kid yells at me that he's hung. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, there's no way you're hung. That bait's only falling like maybe three feet or so in the water calm. And of course, you know, you see, I look up and I see the kid's line start moving back upstream. And I tell the kid to set and he sets a hook on it and it doesn't even move. And for sure, sure enough, it was a musky that had to be that yeah. eating it. Now, that's not... Because if it was a big sucker, it would have actually no. came back around and fought. So musky are strange in that respect because they, 
everyone thinks about throwing big stuff for him, but I mean, I've had him eat stuff on accident, like smaller stuff like that too sometimes. Yeah. So going back to why I kind of progressed towards smaller baits, um, I think everyone throws like giant baits for muskies. Uh-huh. That's what we always see yeah. people do. Mm-hmm. But I think the smaller baits generally get more follows and more commitments for that reason. Yeah. So well, that's why I like throwing the smaller stuff. But another thing with the crankbait too, I was thinking about where you're mentioning it. Uh-huh. Um, one thing that I do, and I think what makes a crankbait a really versatile bait is yes, you can just straight retrieve and make some really easy for people to fish. But one thing I've told people to do, stop and go retrieve. And it makes it like with some crankbaits, it can make them like twitch and then they'll rise a little bit, twitch and rise a little bit. True. So it's yeah. almost like a, almost like an old school, like if you watch like Rapala's like how to videos, yeah. like when they go through like how to fish like an original floater, stop and go retrieve. Yeah. Right? And that's what kind of gave me that idea to I start was, doing I was that. thinking of it from like more of a tracking perspective. Right. Like more of a following perspective and like keeping that follow. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, you know, swim baits with big bass or even, you know, like rage swimmers or jerk baits or whatever with bass. Like they, you know, you'll always keep that fish following your bait as long as you keep that same pattern. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And Paul will tell you that about fishing, you know, big glide baits, big swim baits on, on the lakes, you know, because I remember I was at with you, we were doing that one day and we probably had like what, how big was that fish? Like, a, oh God, it was easy over five, like big old fish. And Paul's working glide bait through there and that fish was just right on the mm-hmm. end of it. But it kept following because Paul kept putting that same the action into up, it. And yeah. that's what, that's what kind of, you know, because Muskie like to follow in my mind, you know, crankbait works good because it's got that same cadence all the way through. And if it's on it, like all you have to do is reel and it's on it pretty, you know, yeah. to an extent, but it's, um, another thing. So going back to that Ned rig story, I actually had something like that happen to me on the French this year over on ledges. So I had a woman, it was just me and her for a half day trip on the French. And, uh, we were out there and it was like, we'd had a phenomenal day, caught, caught some nice fish and uh you know for a half day's worth of fishing she was really stoked about it um and uh towards the end of the trip past uh the big rapid surprise rapid (laughs) (laughs) right past that rapid um there was a big hole there and uh i always like to anchor up in that hole because it's just ridiculously deep like it's deeper than anything in the noli like it's huge and uh, i anchored up right there and same thing like i saw the bait you know, the the woman, there, there was no way with the jig head I had tied on there that that bait was hitting the bottom. Like, absolutely no way. Because there's no rocks, like, super deep hole. I don't know which one you're talking about. Yeah. And just no bottom to it. Like, there's a rock at the very top of it that makes the eddy. But, like, in the eddy, there's absolutely no rocks. And so, like, the lady's fishing it. And she pulls a nice one out of that hole. Like a, like a two, three pounder. Like a nice fish. Pulls it out. We bag it. Throw it away. And I have her just sitting there, you know, I'm burning about, you know, the last bit of the day because it's getting close to the takeout and this is a really good hole. So I'm just having her hammer it with, with this bait, this Ned rig. And same thing happens. I watch her real set, set up into it. And I was like, set again. And I watch it just start carrying off up river. And then the same thing, it just spat back out and Mm -hmm. came out. But something physical was like something was moving and taking that line up the river. And when I remember, cause you told me that very same story about you on the Noli and that, you know, that muskie carrying away that Ned rig and 
the same thing happened to me on the French one. I remember because when I told you about that, you told me that story. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's crazy. And um, I have another story like that on the Noli, but um, I'll spare that. <laughs> I'll spare I'll spare my rambling on for that for now. Um, but yeah, I think that pretty much does it, guys. And like I say, we really appreciate uh, the interest on the gear oriented podcast and. Oh, excuse me again like I say that's not going to be what we're centered around from here on out that's not what I was saying and just um we you know they're really fun to talk about it it gets the juices flowing um and not only like we thought this was going to be really simple about us just talking about our favorite flies and telling people why but like there's a lot of background a lot of stories and kind of like what Ethan would say a lot of science <laughs> b- <laughs> yeah. behind some of it and then there really is and we we pick on Ethan and call him a nerd and everything else but he is right on the science end of everything and and, and that's what makes him a, a good angler I would say <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> but um but yeah we uh, we like making these podcasts uh we like we like you know coming up with new topics and everything else so we appreciate you guys listening and stay tuned for next time This production is brought to you by Southern Appalachian Anglers Guide Service in Asheville, North Carolina, where trusted guides provide exceptional service.